Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Annabelle, Magnus, and Evan to discuss the topic of challenges in scaling in Denmark and keeping culture. Before we delve deeper into the topic, we'll work our way around the room with some introductions. Magnus, would you like to kick us off? Yes, so my name is uh, Magnus, and I have been part of Whistleblower Software for around eight months now, and uh, I'm leading all the talent acquisition and recruitment efforts and have been the head of people and culture. Um, so that is uh, pretty much the, the intro for me. Thank you, Magnus, and great to have you here today. Next to Annabelle. Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Annabelle, and um, currently the Chief People Officer at Alipas Capital here in Copenhagen. Um, yeah, I'm really excited and happy to be here with you all. Um, looking forward to talking about everyone's best practices on scaling. And um, yeah, basically my background has been working mostly in tech here in Denmark. So uh, I've had some experience uh, with companies that have scaled a lot. So looking forward to sharing some of that with you all. Thank you, Annabelle. Real pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And finally, over to Evan, who's making his second appearance on the Evolution Exchange. Glad to be back, Sam. Hi, I'm Evan. Uh, I uh, work in uh, people uh, in Copenhagen. I have uh, happened to specialize in scale-ups, I guess, having done it uh, the scaling journey three times with Leo, Revolut, and Econ uh, at different stages of my career. Uh, I tend to gravitate more towards like uh, people offices a product approach and bringing more of those practices from product side over uh, for our benefit and people. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean. Since I tend to end up in scale-up situations, I'm always uh, very curious about what are other experiences in the field and uh, if I can share anything helpful. Amazing. Glad to have you back, Evan. Thank you for coming back on. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've established context around each of you, we'll move into the topic in focus. Each one person here has a statement or a question around challenges in scaling in Denmark, keeping culture. And since this is part one of a couple of part series, the focus for today is going to be on the scaling part of that topic. So we'll work our way around the room with the questions and you all have an opportunity to give your reasons on it. We're going to start first of all with Magnus's question, where he's posed how to solve or manage the scarce supply of international talent in Denmark when hiring in a hyper growth phase. And on top of that, what is the impact of talent based recruitment, for example, personality tests when scaling rapidly? And Magnus, I'd like to come to you first to perhaps give some context to the other participants and the listeners before we head around the room. Yeah, thanks a lot. So I think the reason for uh, posting those questions uh, were mainly about we are in this uh, huge scaling phase right now going into a hybrid uh, mode. So we're only two and a half years old as a company and uh, 
suddenly we had to hire a lot of people in a short amount of time in a very uh, somewhat little uh, city in Denmark called uh, Aarhus. And um, so we are not Copenhagen based and that has uh, some challenges as I see it, especially because um, more than 50% of our workforce is actually uh, salespeople and uh, we do only uh, sell to uh, or locally to markets. So we only hire native speakers for each market. And since uh, uh, Europe is our market right now, then we need a lot of different uh, languages. And uh, yeah, in our hiring roadmap uh, this year, we, we aimed uh, to go for uh, or from 20 employee to 100. And um, that is just uh, a huge challenge. And so yeah, I guess I think it's an interesting topic to talk about because we hear about it in politics, we hear about it in that we need to attract more people from uh, abroad. And uh, I find it uh, kind of difficult to, to really attract, but we have managed to do it so far. But to scale more than we uh, have done now, uh, it begins to really be a, a struggle. So I think I would like to, to discuss uh, that topic with you. And then the second part is um, focused on personality test and talent-based recruitment, which I believe is uh, one of the uh, future points in, in recruitment when we talk scaling, because it can predict quite uh, good in terms of uh, salespeople. And when you analyze the, the talents that you already have, then you can actually see who is the top performers, who is the bottom performers, and then you can predict talent-wise uh, what talents we are looking for. And when you are getting a lot of application just after a funding round, for, each, for instance, then you will have a lot of applications. But how should you manage all those applications when you have scarce resources in the people team, for instance? So I use personality test um, as a way of assessment, you can say, in a very early stage where it's quite normal in the late stage. But in the scaling phase, I see huge challenges um, not doing it from the start. So I have had a good success with that. Um, but yeah, I think that was the, the, the introduction to, to the two questions. Thank you, Magnus. And I'm going to hand over to Annabelle to give her say on this. Yeah, so I'm actually curious if um, you mentioned that your company is it has a hybrid model right now, um, or is it... Do you have some no, sorry, employees uh, that are remote? No, so uh, sorry, I meant uh, so hyper growth phase. I think. Uh, okay. Yeah, so we are actually not hiring remote at all. So we are one hundred percent in person culture. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So my question was just going to be around the logistics of it, um, because just bringing so many people to Aarhus, I'm sure, is can be super challenging, especially having all those languages as a requirement. Um, mm. Have Have you all considered trying? Uh, you know, remote salespeople, or is that is that something that's an option? Um, yeah, of course we have uh, thought about it, but uh, it's not uh, an option at this point because uh, we are highly competitive about our culture, and we have a very young average age, and we want to build an in-person, uh, in-person world-class culture where we are social and where we can be sporty, and um, we really don't want to to kind of split the team more. And also when we are scaling so much, then we again want to celebrate victories and failures together and yeah, build the culture together instead of it's just me or the management that is setting the culture, then we want to do it together. 
Um, so I think that is uh, part of our strategy. But yeah, we have to, uh, of course, uh, thought about it. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I can, I can comment a bit from my time at Trustpilot because we had a similar setup. We were hiring salespeople that, where we needed to find people that had. Um, that spoke different languages. And I remember, especially when our recruiters were hiring for salespeople that had um, Dutch language, like that was a really challenging one. And so, um, yeah, I I think thankfully Copenhagen is a pretty attractive place where people are, are happy to relocate to, mm-hmm. or there's just already people that are moving to Copenhagen. Um, so I think at that point we were just really keen to uh, to create a nice relocation package, you know, really work on the employer brand. And our strategy at the time was actually bringing people in from outside of Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, exhausting who was already here. I have to say though, I think um, in a hyper growth scenario, now I would I would challenge uh, the notion of of not being able to build a culture. Um, you know, across different locations, um, just because there's so many tools out there to be able to do that. Obviously, that's an executive decision. Um, but I think it does make the challenge so much greater for the recruitment team um, and and can cost a lot more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I agree. And uh, what I've done so far is to really benefit from uh, LinkedIn's uh, targeting possibilities. So I have been very nerdy about um using the right keywords and um, targeting on a lot of different levels in LinkedIn, uh, especially in that corporate version uh, for job posting. And then I have done it um, mainly in Aarhus, of course, but also in Italy, for instance, uh, so I could target people that are willing to re- relocate um, to other countries. And then I have been contacting them in that way. And actually, that has been a very good, um, yeah, idea for us to really pursue that and so we, we can attract some uh, to come from abroad and then the other strategy have also been to go for the universities so obviously on uh, Aarhus University and um, uh, Aarhus BSS then we have a lot of international talents there and I guess Aarhus is also one of the uh, better places in Denmark to recruit students from and um, so we have a lot of part-timers as well and that has been very very uh, good for us as well so that has been the two main drivers for this. And up until now, it has not been the biggest problem, but I guess for next year, um, it could start to be a problem to really attract so many different nationalities in one place. What about the option of flexible workers or or maybe contract type uh, setup? Is that something that, that you've tried before for these roles? So, uh, by contract, you mean uh, like, like maybe freelance, freelance like possibly freelance talent or contract type talent? Yeah, I think what what, is, what has been our challenge here is that we really don't want to um, compromise our uh, culture at this time. And we will stand by that decision for now that we really want to be in person. And that is some of the, the good feedback that we get from the team, that we are also very consistent in this and... Um, I think that is one of the um, points that we can also, uh, you know, not, not only attract uh, young people, but that we can also um, keep the talent. So I see it as a huge advantage right now. And yeah, 
think it might I might be a bit afraid to 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 do it at this time, but uh, I, I understand and maybe we also have to think uh, more about this question. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I um, before my role that I have now, I was at Worksum, where of course we we specialize in, in building software for, mm-hmm. or they specialize in building software for um, an external workforce and. Um, that was something that we really explored at Worksum is just to consider, um, you know, especially just with all the turmoil that's happening these days with, uh, you know, uncertainty and insecurity, uh, you know, when we had a position open up, we would kind of look at it from a 360 perspective and just think like, is this something that we need long-term or is this something that can be supported by an expert who's more of a freelance type? Um, and, at one point I had an opening for a recruiter and ended up hiring somebody as a freelancer uh, for an extended contract. And it was a really great experience. And of course I know with salespeople, it can be completely different, but um, mm. but I just think it's something that um, for many years, we just haven't really thought about turning to, to contract or freelance talent um, to, to help with some of these hyperscaling scenarios. But um, it's, I've, I've found it to be a really good, option as well yeah but uh, it's a good idea and we we might also uh, look into it and but also one of the reasons that we cannot just speak english for instance i think i have been challenged the most on this uh just like why do we don't hire english-speaking people and then speak english to your international markets but the conversion rates are just so so much higher when we uh hire locally basically so Again, that is something that we don't want to uh, go and compromise with. So, yeah, it's a bigger recruitment uh, task, uh, but I think that's also the challenge uh, with. Evan, what are your thoughts on on this, having been through scaling on Hyper for a number of times? That's a very interesting one. I've been sitting and uh, like thinking, can I offer a solution or am I just building an argument for like, how this is not going to work. And I feel like I contributed more in my mind to ladder because yeah, like my initial response is just, uh, open another office. Like if you want them in person, then office will only, uh, get you this far. And I've been reflecting on, um, moving in international, uh, talent because so that's definitely uh, something that we've done to a big extent at Plio. And earlier it was moving a lot of people to Copenhagen and uh, I mean, having done the journey myself with previous companies as international moving to Denmark and starting uh, life kind of from scratch in Copenhagen, even that is challenging uh, in terms of like building up uh, social connections in a place that's anyway, like I, I feel it's a lot more international than our Opus is uh, still. And that's where I'm just thinking of a bit more holistically about experience of people that we're bringing. Uh, so one part is that uh, we sure that we have a good culture and we can deliver on like great work experience for them. But then since they move for us, what is the rest of their life experience uh, going to look like? Uh, and uh, that was a very interesting thing to observe because say in case of Clear, where we were moving a lot of international talent and while being a very international company with a lot of other people in the same situation, you end up uh, basically creating social circle of other employees for new like incoming employees. Uh, and that's kind of the way for uh, a lot of people that we move to integrate in the broader society. But there's also kind of a thing that you end up 
being like more locked in on your colleagues and spending a majority of your time outside of work still with them, which also propagates all of the, you know, like family dynamics, which are always uh, like double-edged sword uh, when going about culture in a company. And I feel like in a place like Ovus, uh, you might have it even to a bigger extent uh, when you're moving people. Um, and uh, eventually, yeah, uh, we toned down on uh, moving to Copenhagen considering all the prices. Uh, but uh, the sales organization, another thing I started doing is rather hiring a lot of international salespeople and moving them to Lisbon because there, even with an entry salary, they can have good compensation compared to uh, cost of living. Uh, and uh, that's where also Lisbon as a destination is a great place to have life outside of work uh, where you don't depend on a company for that. Uh, and yeah, I think if anything, I would look into like this part of things and like what's the holistic experience of people relocating uh, for you if you commit to keeping it only in office for now. Yeah, uh, really, really good points. And I agree that it's a... Uh... I live myself in the in, in Portugal, so I can relate to what you are saying about the <laughs> the living standards and so on. But uh, yeah, I also just uh, took into account that uh, you know this this podcast is about scaling in Denmark, and uh, yeah, I really want to expand the international talent in Denmark, and we also have an office now in Madrid, so uh, we do have international offices, but. Uh, I'm just very curious on the Danish model for how to attract more international talents, and uh, it's both on a in a, in a political <laughs> setting actually, and also uh, business-wise. I think we can still do a lot. Uh, yeah, I guess another point that I learned from <laughs> from recruitment days, which was kind of a painful uh, experience for me, as someone like was hired a person is not so hire people who only lived in the south. And have them start after summer, because oh, we had some pretty senior starting in <laughs> September, and by January they like they left the country because they couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> so, okay. Um, awesome, guys. Well, Magnus, I think you've kicked us off there with a fantastic question, uh, and appreciate Annabelle and, and Evan uh, giving some great answers there as well. Before we move on, Magnus, is there anything that you'd like to add on on how you have you know? managed to try and solve this this problem that you've posed um yeah i mean as i said it was it has been mainly the the linkedin uh, targeting that has been uh, effective for me and um i think that 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 has been the the best thing so far and also go for the universities but yeah it's still uh, it's it's still difficult if you don't live in in, in copenhagen so Denmark is a small country, but we still need more international talents. And yeah, I think that, that that's where I want to place it for now. But if we can move on to the personality test um, part of the question, uh, because I think that is uh, very interesting. And honestly, I don't understand why more recruiters or startups don't use personality tests more actively. Um, I mean, of course, you need to have some success with it before you <laughs> essentially go with that strategy. But uh, for us, it has been, I mean, really uh, valuable. And I'm so happy that I, I, I chose that strategy in the start. Um, because since we are so many salespeople, 
uh, it's difficult to assess salespeople uh, because almost every salesperson can sell um, him or herself, but it's not uh, always they can sell the product. So how do you actually assess that early on? And personality testing has been one of our main strategies for doing that. And when we analyze the current team, then we can easily see some tendencies of what is working and what is not working and what talent drivers will move us as a business forward. And then we have just been analyzing um, all the way through. And then now we will uh, do an, a new analysis based on all our new employees. So we will revise the talents uh, on a yeah, continuously basis. So um, now we just integrated it as a part of our recruitment process and you will actually have the test as the first thing in the process and then you will have an interview. And I think that's a very strange or not strange, but maybe uncommon uh, way of doing it because usually it will happen later in the process. But I actually experienced that this is a good thing, both for the candidate, but also for us, because we have more information. They have more information. They will be provided this test no matter what. So if they will not continue in the process, they will actually have gained something uh, to learn about themselves. Um, so I don't see any like um, arguments against it uh, just now. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's very helpful. And we can also see the churn is... Um, is, is, is actually quite low in, in our company. And I believe this is one of the reasons why, um, because we are, in my opinion, more um, safe when it comes to making the hiring decision, because we are more informed if we yeah didn't have it. So I just want to put that up in the air. Um, and yeah, do you use the personality test in, in your recruitment process when, when scaling? We'll go in a reverse order this time, Evan. Have you got anything to, to add first? I'm very curious, and I think I have more questions than anything because I have always been against doing that kind of thing. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, and maybe actually then you can just answer uh, the things that always stop me from doing that kind of thing. Because uh, whenever I look at um, optimizing my recruitment process, uh, I always look at the trade-off of how much meaningful signal I get from this uh, interview stage uh, and whether or not I can give anything valuable to a candidate if I reject them at this point. So uh, actually, yeah, I guess it is it is a very nice thing that doing personality tests early and we can give them at least some insights. But what I was wondering is that, okay, but will I tell someone no because they're the wrong personality type based on what I'm thinking about their job? Like it seems, uh, well, just straight up as discrimination because like it's not about it's not that your personality defines if you're qualified to do a job or not so i'm very curious like do you reject people if they don't match the profile that you picked and then if you ended up with a team that is very similar in type like having aren't you creating a situation of confirmation bias for yourself that if we only hire salespeople of this type and we expect them to perform mm-hmm. then we only have them and have no one else of other personality types to prove us wrong mm-hmm. and like really like showcase yeah. that we're making a good call here. Yeah, uh, I mean, so first of all, we don't reject people instantly based on their personality. So I, of course, don't want to uh, discriminate on that. However, we are uh, using this as part of our attraction strategy as well. So in our job descriptions for salespeople, we actually, as the first thing, 
mention what challenge we are looking for and if you can familiarize yourself with uh, the following challenge. And then we write, for instance, that we are looking for people that are very uh, driven and targeted and uh, we are looking for very positive people and we are looking for very responsible people. So, I mean, if you cannot see yourself in, in this type of uh, setting, then I think, honestly, that maybe it's not the, the right culture for, for that person. And we want to be uh, straightforward with what we believe we are um, because we see those three talents as part of our uh, culture and, 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 and values, if you can say it like that. Um, because we have very high targets, we have very high ambitions, and we, we strive for that. So we also want people that strive for the same. Um, and if that can be part of our attraction strategy, I think we can attract the right candidates also. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's um, one of the, uh, the, the parts. Uh. I have a question. So um, I have a, a few questions, but I think one of the things that's kind of um, held me back at times from considering a personality assessment is just because there's a, a sea of options and it's just figuring mm -hmm. out, you know, what would make sense, what's trustworthy. Um, and of course, you know, matching that up with what, what the business needs. Um, one that I've used before is predictive index. And um, yeah, I, I remember it worked well, actually. I, I do like the idea actually of, of using these for, um, especially when you have a high volume of candidates that you need to screen for. Um, one thing that we were doing at the time was we did have these, these core competencies that we were looking out for, for specific skill sets, but we were also looking at, um, getting complementary competencies for teams. So kind of building out teams using, uh, these assessment, the, the PI. So, um, mm -hmm. I found it to be useful, but like I said, I think it has to fit in with, with the business and, um, and how you hire. Um, but I'm just very curious how you chose the, the tool that you use. Yeah. I, so I obviously looked at a, a lot of different, uh, talent providers and also, uh, what they based their algorithms on. Um, so we are based on the Gallup, uh, principles or theories. And that is, the, that, that is the most well represented kind of, uh, theory out there for, for this, uh, game, uh, and. What I also like is that it has 450 questions, I believe it is, where it will be divided into two. So it's 240 questions you will have to think about. Um, and you have to choose one thing over another thing and to what degree you are what. And I think that priority um, game is really uh, what we are looking for. So um, we, we use a, a software called FirstMind right now. And uh, that that has been uh, very very good for 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 what we do, and um, we have also been involved with uh, you know profiling experts within this test. And um, I also want to make it clear that if you decide to go with a test like this, then you also have to know your data and you have to analyze uh, your your staff and uh, your culture and all that because if you just use it and, and be like, uh, I think this talent might be good for, for sales. It, it's different in all organizations, organizations, I think. So you also have to use your data if you want to use a personality test. You cannot just, you know, uh, 
uh, think something. I think you should be very clear what uh, the aim is for your talent testing. Uh, I guess I can uh, make uh, refer to just one thing where um, yeah, kind of, you know, thinking about the scientific like I really want to, I don't know, introduce more ways of like, can we prove that our assumptions are wrong? Um, kind of thinking. Because um, I think, especially when it comes to sales organizations, uh, it is one of the most interesting problems is kind of predicting who's going to be a good salesperson because it's much less, like, it is harder to predict, uh, basically. But going back to my experience, I worked in a recruitment agency at the beginning of my career. So, like, much more sales environment. And to me, that was a very good learning ground in terms of who and how ends up being good in sales. Because uh, the agency's hypothesis was just let's give commissions so attractive that people will do like that we don't care who people are. Mm. They will be so motivated by money that they will make it happen. That works for most people. But then there are examples like me personally, I did not care about money and all of that. I more cared about like learning and advancing in my career. So pretty mm. quickly, uh, I stopped chasing money after like having just gotten senior enough and like enough compensation to get me going. I started getting nerdy. I researched all of the best performers in the company and kind of just to learn from them and to highlight what makes them great. So everyone else in the company, so elevating rather everyone else. I went very nerdy about um, like the problem space or we, we specialized in tech hiring. I learned a lot about engineering that later when I was interviewing developers, they mistook me for software engineer because I could talk to with them on subjects that are very, that recruiters don't talk about because they usually don't even go that far in learning it. And I learned everyone in the agency, those things. Uh, so it's kind of, I'm definitely not the talent that they wanted and not the talent they thought they wanted, but I ended up being the person who contributed to the company itself uh, just because I kind of slipped through the cracks and I figured, uh, okay, yeah, like money are important to me and just hire me. And then we'll figure it out from there. So I think just creating room for those things to play out and to potentially uh, prove your own is uh, still a valuable thing. Just introducing more diversity to whom do you bring to the yeah. team. Cool. Makes, uh, makes so much sense. And yeah. But in our case, uh, yeah, high performance is linked to uh, certain talents. And I think that is what matters to, to me that is also backed by... Uh, some sort of data that we have and uh, yeah for us it really makes sense to to pursue this amazing guys well i think it's a great point to finish on so again thank you magnus for a great question or questions should i say um now let's segue over to, to annabelle's questions she's going to pose to both you at the audience but also the people on the podcast today how do you best connect new or newer hires with people that have been in the company from the early days to both scale the culture and share knowledge and also on the back of that what is the best practices for bridging those gaps between the quote-unquote old guard and new guard and same as last time Annabelle I'm going to come to you for a bit of context before handing it around to the group yes thanks Sam um yeah, so this is something that I've seen, um, well, kind of in every company that I've been at, but in my current position, um, the company's been around for almost 15 years and has grown very organically. So we're not a hyper growth type of company. Um, but just this year, we, we've added, um, I think it was about almost 30% from last year. And so we're starting to grow faster 
than before. And we have um, quite a few people that have been with the company from for like five to 10, some even close to 15 years. And now that we're adding larger quantities of of employees, you know, you have people that have been with the company for less than a year. And there's just so much knowledge that's with people that have been with the company for, for almost 15 years. And, um, you know, how do you best leverage that and connect people? Um, because obviously when you've been with a company for so long, you forget that you forget about what you even know and what makes the company unique because you've just been there for so long. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to get get some insights on that. Um, and also, you know, in line with that. Um, so obviously there are some generational differences that come with having somebody who's been with a company for 10 to 15 years versus somebody who is, you know, Gen Z, uh, maybe right out of university who has different needs and just works and might have a, a different expectations of how they work. So this is what I would love to, to discuss. Thank you, Annabelle. And Evan, we're starting with you on this one. I, uh, I'm really happy with this question because it kind of uh, had me thinking back to one project that I worked with, like very similar goals, uh, precisely during um, our hyper growth period of bringing in like 80 to 100 people a month. Uh, I was working on onboarding for senior leaders, uh, precisely based on the consideration that because they're in very senior roles, it's even more crucial to communicate culture in as much detail as possible to them because they still come from a different place. And there's going to be a delta between what they're used to and what we're used to. And there's going to be some tension around this. And whatever you do, it's going to happen. But it's just more about to what extent and how and yeah, how much friction will be around the whole thing. So um, my takeaways from running this program a few times were uh well one definitely a buddy system and uh, i think buddy is kind of a no-brainer in the situations i think almost every company does that for any new starter uh i guess what was um uh, important for me in there is that having seen or like having reflected on why it usually doesn't work because uh, i also had buddies that were supposed to be my buddy but then kind of it fell through the cracks. I had to come up with a very simple to follow, like bullet point list of things to do. Hey, you're going to be buddy. Book them right now for the first week. Book them every other week for another two months. Explain to them this, this, and this. And then, okay, like I'm happy. They will be able to explain the whole thing. And I think, uh, yeah, in me uh, driving the process of nominating those bodies, that was uh the tenure that you talked about was the main thing like it's i don't care that much that your body is a peer or like someone on a similar level of position organization as you know i want body to be the most tenured person in their area someone who knows as much of a history as possible and someone who knows as much about the culture and its artifacts and all of the unspoken things that i don't even know because uh, the uh, company is big enough. I don't know what's going on there, but I want to pick someone who's been there for so long that they know all of it. Uh, but then, uh, again, like I always expect things to fail, so I cannot just rely on this thing on just one person. So one cool concept uh, that we had is for, we made groups of those uh, people, uh, new starters, and uh, a pretty big thing of uh, at Clio is um, authentic leadership. 
uh, and uh, basically just nurturing environments, especially among leadership, to uh, not only think of working relationships with transactional. So I tell you to do this thing, you do this thing, we continue, we set up new goals. Like, no, there's also that needs to be a rule for us to be able to talk about uh, our uh, interpersonal relations. Uh, are we in a good footing? And if not, uh, we should be able to talk about this and just uh, communicate how am I right now? Am I going through something outside of work which affects me? So it's more uh, human, the interactions that we have. So we would create those groups among the starters. So they already get uh, introduced to the whole, this whole concept, uh, but also so when they face those, those things where they bump into something that's different about their habits and our culture, that they have a safe space among each other to share those things. So if someone is like kind of not matching what we used to have up until now, they can also share with other people who might also pick up, oh, I haven't bumped into it, but uh, that's absolutely how it also acts. So, okay, then I will know that uh, this is what's, uh, what's different about people around here. And we made um, like more typical onboarding session where we talked, um, like what was the name? 10 golden rules for uh, new leaders. And uh, they would rather refer to like anecdotes from our past, from things where leaders started and uh, like what we advise and recommend based on our experience of people from different cultures trying to integrate into ours. Uh, to yet again point out just, hey, this is uh, how, like things that can happen and this is ways how in our culture we go about resolving those. So then when it's uh, approached from so many different angles, we hopefully give a like more detailed picture of what we are and how we are like. So when you people come in, they understand this and then they can actually contribute and change it moving forwards. Thank you, Evan. Magnus, have you got anything to add? Yes. Um, I actually have a, a very uh, practical <laughs> example for what really worked for, for us uh, back in the time. So in my previous job uh, in Noi, where I was also uh, recruiting um, from not so many people up uh, to a lot of people then, um, the founder um, in that company actually took this very seriously and he made me understand the importance of this and um, a very, very simple thing that we just saw uh, was working uh, was that we, we, for every onboarding that we made, no matter who it was, then we, we set up um, 10 coffee walks, as we called them. Um, so we matched them with uh, the old employees. So if I was a new employee, I would had, have had um, 10 meetings in my calendar uh, when I joined. And those 10 meetings will be about me and an old guard uh, will go to the local coffee shop, go around in Copenhagen for half an hour, 45 minutes. And then uh, we will already have the kind of introduction. And in that particular walk, Typically, what will happen is that, you know, the new person will ask a lot of questions about, oh, so how uh, have you built this and what is your role exactly and um, how how can it be that we scale so much and, you know, so it was a good way to introduce the new people to the old guys and, and we just saw it working, so we kept doing this. And so we didn't really invent any, you know, very new thing or anything. But this was a very good way for us to to connect the yeah all the people, um, and then then from a newer perspective at at, at whistleblower then uh, because everyone is almost new in this company, 
we have been focusing more on on the bigger events. So we have a Spanish team, we have a, a team in, in Aarhus, and then we gather the two offices quite often to uh, have events, um, to have some team building and so on. And we take it quite seriously also with, with the culture and invest quite heavily in it. And also went to Budapest, for instance, for a, a trip together to really just celebrate our victories. And um, yeah, that is also a good way to, to, to yeah, for everyone to really talk outside of, of work, uh, basically. So um, yeah, I really uh, agree that this is um, an important thing to, to talk about. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. I think I think it is really nice to get people together in a in an informal environment, like you were mentioning about Budapest. Um, and Ivan, I like the um, what you were mentioning about bringing those those new starters together, like to have that safe space. I think that is really important because it's like mm. you know you go through that experience together. So it's it's just so nice to have people that you can you know you can go and talk to, who are going through the same thing. Especially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially when you come from another country and you just moved to Denmark, for instance, uh, I mean, who should you talk to if you are not invited into the culture? So uh, I can yeah. feel that myself. Uh, so I was actually moving from Copenhagen to Aarhus and usually it's the other way around, right? Uh, and I, I didn't knew anyone in Aarhus. So, I mean, I was depending uh, dependent on my colleagues to show me around or to introduce me at least to to the cult- culture. and. That was my way into to the city and to getting friends and so on. So I, I believe it's so important uh, that, yeah, people also choose cultures. And I think uh, we should remember that as well. Yep. Agreed. Well, Annabelle, have you obviously asked the question, have you got anything to add uh, in your experience to, to your own question, I suppose? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've, um, I'm also a big fan of of the buddy system, and um, I think something that I would really like to something that I'd like to maybe try at at my new role is um, I think because I think a lot of it starts with just building the relationships um, before you just dive into business. Um, so something that our New York office was doing at my previous job was, uh, and I think this is actually a Google concept, they were doing this thing called TGIF, where every Friday, a different person would present on something that had like a special meaning for them personally. So it could be anything from like, you know, uh, I think somebody did something on like Latin, uh, wait, like Taylor Swift, maybe, or like Hispanic Heritage Month, Uh, somebody did something about uh, the Zodiac. So just fun stuff, uh, because obviously it's Friday, uh, when you do it, but I think that's just, um, so I was thinking maybe something around that, like bringing people together informally to talk about, you know, something that's, that's important to them and, and starting with the relationships in that way, but trying to get people involved that, uh, have also been with the company for some time with the new hires and mixing in that way. So, but really, it's it's essentially the same concept as the coffee walks. I think it's just about bringing people together. Um, so yeah, and I think the other part of my question was just about you know the different generations as well coming together and having different different needs. Um, I think it's interesting. So the role that I'm in now, we have primarily an on-site model as well. So. Um, 
And I think actually the younger generations are looking for something where they can be more in the office. Um, but I, I also know that, uh, like Gen Z and millennials are just much more willing to share and, and just get into personal topics than maybe Gen X. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to see this, but I was just curious if you all had any insights on some of these more, uh, ways of working or generational differences and how to bridge those. It's a really, uh, yeah, good topic as well. And I think I also have to, to think a, a bit more about it actually, but um, something that we do is that we try to see in our culture, what is our culture about? And did we even ask our employees about what they would like to, uh, to do? And when we did that, then, um, As a result, we also found out that we had a more sporty culture than we thought. And um, we also have a very strong, um, how can you say it, social culture in the way that we, we also party a lot together, actually, and have a very uh, social culture in that way. So we have actually established different um, committees to uh, facilitate different sport events and so on. And I think um, now people are actually taking initiatives themselves in their free times and inviting everyone from the office and that way to to kind of uh, yeah bridge the, the the gap because sometimes uh, it will be only very young people but sometimes it will also be uh, you know two 20 year old uh, and then uh, a 40 years old uh, will join because he thinks this is just uh, so nice of an idea and um So I think we, we also use it in that way, but um, yeah, let me let me think a bit more about uh, uh, the question. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do as well with what you know. I guess what what stage in your life you're in, and and what you're even available for. Evan, have you got anything to add? Whilst Max and Mag, sorry, Magnus has got some thinking time. <laughs> I think I'm also taking my thinking time because I, I never thought of this from this angle, and I trying to kind of analyze how it like where it worked because uh, yeah as long as your culture is about openness and curiosity i would expect like less points of tension between generations and their differences because if neither is set on it's going to be it has to be my way then it's going to be fine uh and i guess if anything if we're talking about scaling culture in denmark in denmark it's Somewhat less problematic, or at least I saw uh, like older and more corporate background people uh, joining us, seeing how uh, unserious culture allows you to be in terms of like tone, and how do you need that you don't need to bring yourself in the suit to be taken seriously. You will be taken seriously based like based on your argument, not on uh, how you deliver it. And that already like I saw how these people from more official backgrounds relax uh, and uh, in that way already act much closer to say what we're calling here gen z and uh i mean still still like meme quality will be different coming from like people who are in the heart of it or like uh drinking things but also uh, i don't know like the amount of emojis made uh, like after certain people that we have in our slack space is ridiculous and it goes across all generations for sure so yeah i, I think 
this level of fun that you're allowed to have uh, within our cultural space. And I think, yeah, the point about sport is very good because, like, this is universal. And uh, uh, we had, like, the full spectrum of uh, ages and backgrounds when we were doing uh, DHL run in Copenhagen and, like, having our multiple teams come together for that or any other sort of, uh, like, extra activities that we have going on uh, in the office to enrich this uh, social life. I also can provide uh, uh, some examples. So, um, yeah, we are very, uh, we also think a lot about when introducing, for instance, softwares. Uh, that is something I have been thinking a lot about that when we are, uh, for instance, uh, different generations, then we have different uh, priorities towards what software we use and also hardware for that uh, matter. So, some will prefer to have uh, MacBooks, for instance, some will prefer to have Windows. And I, I believe that the very young generation wants macbooks uh, for sure that is my uh, feeling and uh, i can also in interview uh, hear sometimes that uh, people prefer to have uh, windows if uh, it comes from another generation and i mean that i i get this question a lot actually when i interview but we don't want to provide a lot of different options uh, because we want to to kind of yeah Again, gather the, the culture around uh, one thing instead of spreading around, around uh, information and then it will, it will not be transparent for some teams maybe because they are using another software and then they cannot get access to it and so on. So we have, for instance, uh, we operate with uh, MacBooks and we have uh, Notion uh, as one of our kind of softwares. And some people find it difficult to operate with that in the start, but we also want to uh, facilitate the help needed uh, to kind of mix all the generations uh, across the kind of learnings and um, a good example is that we had a a guy from the office the other day where I was like okay so how do I make this kind of analysis in the Excel I was uh, my me myself I was very uh, frustrated about it and he was just like ah I can just do it like this I'm like okay that was a uh, pretty crazy that you just did that and then afterwards he asked me like how do you take a screenshot uh, on a MacBook? <laughs> so I, I think we, we come from very different uh, backgrounds in terms of that. And he thought it was the easiest I was sitting with, and I thought it was the easiest thing he was sitting with. And to to combine that kind of knowledge and to to understand that we just we are we are just different uh, in a lot of regards. Excellent. It's a great great example there. Sorry, Evan, have you got something to add? Yeah, very important addition. I know a few younger people who prefer Windows, which to this day amazes me. And if you are listening to this podcast, I know who you are. I know who you are. <laughs> I love it. Well, what a segue, Evan's question's next. Uh, and he knows where you are. So, no, thank you very much, Annabelle, for a fantastic question there. As I said, Evans is the final question of the podcast today, and, and he's posing Scandinavian startups tend to be or tend to have a more cozy and human culture than perhaps other startups elsewhere, while successful enterprises perhaps don't. If you set out to make it through scaling and turn into one of these successful enterprises, how do you proactively steer your culture in, in, in kind of that direction um, through the scaling phase? So Evan, over to you for some context before we pass around the panel. Yes. And uh I appreciate it's a more hypothetical one to end things up on because, uh, yeah, just practically thinking like if you are uh, a startup with a good ambition to make it really big, and if we look at the culture that you have at point A, 
And the culture that like, happens with what comes with a point B, it has to change along the way. And rather than uh, being reactive to just things happening, quote unquote, naturally, because you bring in a lot of people from different cultures who kind of dilute what you originally had. Because if you're really scaling fast, you don't have too much control of it. Uh, is there another way? Like, can you be more proactive about going about this change and in a way compromising on your original culture, just because if you have that level of ambition, you will, you are heading in a different direction anyway. Uh, that's something that's occupying me lately. And uh, yeah, given that it's a very hypothetical question, I'm very curious. Uh, just what are your thoughts? Magnus, it's your turn to go first on this one. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask if you can provide some very concrete examples. Uh, yeah, of what you exactly mean by 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 the, the topic. <laughs> so that will be the case where, uh, like, when you are uh, those uh, fifty people, or actually, okay, let's just go with Dunbar number. When you are less than one hundred and fifty, there's a good chance uh, if you have very engaged culture that all of you have met each other at least once, and you have an idea for everyone else. So in that sense. The culture is very uh, condensed. It's uh, like we all understand what it is, uh, just as a like human quality of understanding, like where we stand. Uh, when you get to a point of onboarding dozens of people every month, while again, if it's hyper growth, then you also need you have a pressure to deliver. You need to perform. So there's so many things going on. Uh, I will. Yeah, people can burn out along the way. Like it's. Working startups and rather scale-ups uh, is intense. We know that. So, uh, however, and we in this group, we care and think a lot about culture. Uh, people in other parts of the company uh, can think about us less uh, and can be less concerned or like at least in their list of priorities, it comes later. So from that point, you hire uh, experienced people from very different backgrounds because we want to bring people from our target states so from those big companies and who have not necessarily ever experienced startups and would understand where we're coming from and what the transition is like. So then they introduce just more and more of those like deltas uh, that say, oh, we talked about earlier uh, with uh, new hires. And uh, you can introduce those pockets of, okay, here, culture is already a little bit different because we hired the senior leader and they brought uh, another people that are more familiar to them. They're already different from this old core group. Uh, and uh, in that way, Culture changes anyway, uh, and it's less, uh, and it's not something that you can really control. Uh, but if it happens like that on its own, like those of us who are looking after that culture, we end up being more observant and reactive to those changes rather than proactive. Because anyway, if we know that those things need to happen in order for the business to overall succeed uh, in its growth, you could be rather ahead of this cultural change and uh, well kind of move things in that direction because when there's there's a big difference between those pockets in the company mm -hmm. that uh, anyway creates tension and say so you have this old guard which suddenly starts looking at things as if this is not the company that i know i will leave uh and uh it's a natural thing but when it happens abruptly it's kind of a heartbreak for both parties so that's what i'm thinking that being ahead of it can ensure a uh, better transition for everyone that can uh, create opportunities for people to stay or create more meaningful ways for them uh, to leave if they don't want to adjust in this way. And overall, for everyone to be more articulate about 
what are the changes that we know will take place in our culture if we scale and we continue doing it with this much of a base. Yeah, so you are also talking about the alignment uh, when we are uh, growing so so fast, right? Yes, that would yeah. definitely be part of it. Yeah, so for the alignment part, I think something that we do, uh, and it, it is indeed very difficult uh, because new people will just come in and don't realize what has happened in the past seven months, and it's difficult to recap what has happened, right? But what we do is that, uh, and I believe actually we have been doing this for since the company started, is to have a, the same meeting every Friday. So we will actually have a team meeting uh, every Friday with everyone in the company. And it sounds very basic, and it is, but all department leaders would then uh, go through, you know, very urgent or uh, important information for that particular uh, department to align everyone uh, on what is happening, where we're we going, is there any uh, very important announcement, and so on. And I think it's a very expensive meeting, to be honest, because we are all sitting in this, so uh, it should also be relevant for everyone. But since we are growing so fast, we have so many news that are actually uh, important for everyone to understand or to be aligned on. Or what can we say about uh, this strategy, or what can we don't say about, uh, like in the public, and all those kind of things. But also to to mention who are we actually onboarding, uh, what are their names, when are they starting, all that. We actually take it quite seriously that we are aligned on on those topics. So. We uh, we inform the team about that every week, so we don't, uh, you know, um, when when someone new is starting and they enter the door, then we should always know who is that person because if we cannot tell that, then I think we are too busy. Um, so yeah, it's just so important to be to be aligned, and this is just something that works for us, and and people are very like. Uh, uh, good at doing it with with slideshows and so on. So that is just a habit now in the company that we we do that and people are staying connected through that method. Uh, but that is just one practical example, I guess, um, because it's a big question. I I just want to comment, Magnus. I think that's a great example because it shows that those habits are actually they're impacting the culture because like. You mentioned the new hire that comes in and people already know who that is. So in that, in the eyes of that new person, they're like, wow, everybody here is so friendly. Everybody is just super warm. Um, And that's the culture. But the act of having those alignment meetings is reinforcing that part of the culture. Um, So I feel like if you can come up with just practical ways of creating rituals or, yeah. you know, really re- emphasizing the things that will show up as, as culture. Um, it, it's just in the everyday things, I think. So yeah. it's everything from like the language in your contracts and your policies to, um, you know, what your meeting rooms look like and if people yeah. habitually show up late or if everybody's on time and, you know, things like that, I think is really kind of, that's yeah. the stuff I think that scales. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly. And especially in the start, so we are, are still a somewhat small company, right? And uh, we are still uh, building the culture because we are below uh, 100 people. And <clears throat> uh, when I started, we were around 20 employees, I think. And then we onboarded two and a half people per week for seven months in a row. So that that is an extreme uh, change in, in the team. 
and to build the right habits towards that journey. And from the start, I think that is so crucial from being, you know, zero to 100 people to really uh, build out the culture there. So when you onboard, for instance, 50 people a month, uh, I mean, that's a, a whole new uh, a question. I think uh, you guys are better at answering, I think. Um, but yeah. Annabelle, have you got anything to add uh, in addition, I suppose, to the points you've already made? Yeah, I think um, you guys are probably already know this, but I think so much of it just sits with leadership, like really like founders, CEO. Um, it's so important that, you know, they obviously it's not only in their hands because I feel like in the beginning stages of a company, they're really kind of the architects. And then as the company scales, um, in my experience, I've seen different levels of involvement from the CEO and um it just impacts what the culture what the culture becomes like um i heard somewhere recently some quote about uh values and, and it was like values are the thing that ends up costing you money but that you have to do um so i think it has to do also with just you know leadership making difficult decisions and really kind of having those powerful moments where you see your leadership kind of uh being leaders and I think that impacts the culture quite a bit. Um, and then just on the same topic of, of leadership, I think it's just important to, uh, I think that's why it's so important for people that do what we do to define the culture and be able to articulate it and find out where it's showing up and how it shows up and then um, train our leaders, you know, to be able to continue that in their teams. Um, I don't know if you guys have read the book, the nine lies about work. Um, but uh, there's a chapter in there. So it talks about, you know, what people actually, why they love the job that they have. And it really just all according to data. So the guy that one of the guys that wrote this book, Marcus Buckingham, so he's got a, a you know, really long career with um, assessment tests and working with all kinds of data in the people operation space. And so according to him, he's saying that people stay in their jobs because of the teams that they're in, the people, you know, their mates, basically. Um, and so, and this was from survey data that they collected. So I think so much of scaling and making sure people are happy has to do with uh, making sure these teams function in a, in a good and healthy way. Yeah. So that's my two cents. Thank you, Annabelle. Evan, this was your question. I know you've already added a lot with examples, but would you like to conclude with anything? I feel the need to add something profound to conclude. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> did we even answer the, the, the question? I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, it has to consideration. Like, I think this topic, I, I don't know, it, it is a curveball. You don't have an answer to it, really. Like, you can try things and then it will play out one way or another because it's like you cannot do scaling twice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of moving parts. Uh, actually, you know, yeah, very interesting points. Uh, I need to go read the book again because I think I read it years ago, but uh, I struggle to remember anything from it. Gotta remiss it. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, well, we'll make sure that when this podcast goes out, we tag the book um, and anybody listening could also have an opportunity to read that one. But I think for today, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. 
I want to take this opportunity to thank both Annabelle, Magnus and Evan for not only providing their insights, but fantastic questions within the topic. And of course, thank you for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me via LinkedIn or on email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. And I full well know that these guys would be more than happy to answer any additional questions that you may have, and they will be tagged in all the posts on the podcast. So um, please do reach out. But for now, see you next time. Thanks, guys.